All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day and uh, that you've made. Thank you for our chance to gather around your word and in worship. Uh, thanks for giving us joy in Christ. Thanks for including us in your mission. Give us grace uh, for our obedience to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so this is part two of uh, mission. I should have brought leftovers from last week, but uh, I have my home if you're interested, or download them off, off the web. <coughs> All right, so let's look. Uh, last week we talked Old Testament basis uh, for mission, so that was fun to see uh, God revealing His plan for all nations, even in the Old Testament. So we're going to just look at a few foundational verses, and then we'll end uh, kind of at what's happening now in uh, in mission, kind of what's the current thing. And I gave you a little bit of church history of missions and some interesting. Facts from China and uh, Korea and uh, Ireland and Scotland to kind of represent everybody in the room. So <laughs> we're all all inclusive here. So, uh, <clears throat> so yeah, let's. Uh, everybody expects me to start with this verse, so I'll just start with it. So because uh, we really can't talk about mission without talking about uh, the great uh, commission and. Uh, Eric Junk, can you read that? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right. Well, last week we kind of talked about the point of missions, kind of playing off of John Piper's uh, thesis in Let the Nations Be Glad. That the point of missions isn't nations, it's not about lostness, it's not about missions, organizations. The point of missions is God. And here we have Jesus sort of bracing the disciples for a problem. What's the problem facing the disciples when Jesus is talking in this uh, passage? And just a hint, the problem isn't missions. <laughs> yeah, there's only a few disciples, and they're in a in a little while. There's going to be no no Jesus because he's about to ascend right. into heaven. So <clears throat> Jesus is giving them good news, and a lot of people say, "Well, the Great Commission doesn't sound like good news. It just sounds like a lot of work." But he starts the lot of work part with some good news. What's the good news in this passage? Yeah, Jesus has all authority. I got a drop. So there's the A for the apostles. They're tiny. There's the whole world. Surrounded by nations. And Jesus writes over the whole thing. He says, It's mine. This whole place is mine. All authority has been given to me over it. Why is that good news for missionaries or for missions?
It's politically subversive. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so in a place of other gods, other lords, other kings, wherever we go, we have the, the uh, security knowing that Jesus is king there already. It's got his name on it. We're just merely showing up and said, the king of this place sent me here to tell you about how good he is and how much he loves you and wants to forgive your sins. So let me tell you about the king king of this place. Um, yeah, that's hugely encouraging. You're not starting something by going across the world. God has started it by it being his world and he's redeeming it. And so we're getting there. Uh, so this, again, is God's mission and we're his... How should we fill in the blank? This is God's mission. We are his... Missionaries. Okay, yeah. What else? What's another way to think of it? Agents. Paul uses the analogy ambassadors. He says we urge men to be reconciled to God. Um, He says this is Jesus' world. This is Jesus' mission. These are Jesus' nations that he's reclaiming for himself. And we are his, and we're going to see in a minute, his... Witnesses. So this is an umbrella of comfort and boldness, even before we even get to the first imperative. This is, in theology, we call this the imperative. The do is built on the indicative, what God's already done, what God's already said, what God's already provided. So the indicative of missions is this is God's world and God's redeeming it. The imperative is so go and be agents of that redemption uh, wherever you go. <clears throat> So it's like next. There's a there's a word missing in here. It's very interesting. Let's think of all the verbs in here. Can somebody read off all the verbs? We've been playing Mad Libs in the car, so our kids probably remember it. Okay, so we got go. Baptize. Baptize. Well, before you got make. Okay, we have make disciples. Teach. Teach. Let me think there's a word missing in there. What word would we normally think should go in that list? Therefore. Oh, okay. Yeah, therefore. Evangelize? Yeah, we're, we're sort of like, where's evangelize? Where's reach? Gospelize them. It goes from boom, go. Oh, there is therefore. And then make disciples, baptize, teach. All right. So this is introducing kind of a mind-boggling concept, is that this isn't just, how should I represent this? He didn't just say make conversions. Yeah, he just, don't just convert people, don't just get decisions, make disciples. Why should we not stop at decisions but make disciples apart from Jesus said to? <laughs> that would be an easy answer because Jesus said to. Um, how is this too small of a, a goal? I mean, it's awesome when this happens when people pray. You know, we're there and they're saying, I want to receive forgiveness of my sins. I want to believe in Jesus. Awesome. I'm not denigrating that. <clears throat> but Jesus said something deeper than get them to make a decision 
for me? What a, what's a disciple? <clears throat> Maybe these are words we haven't really uh, defined. We use them, right? But we haven't always defined them. A life without that decision. Yeah. So this includes belief plus life. We would call it life transformation. I like what Dallas Willard uh, calls them apprentices to Jesus. Well, he calls them kingdom apprentices. So learning and living God's ways with Jesus as our master, our boss, our teacher, our trainer, and uh, God's God's priorities. <coughs> Because here we can make a decision and it stays at the level of I have a belief about Jesus and I hold that and then I have the rest of my life over here, right? And that's basically what we're always wrestling with in our culture is, is a very thin uh, faith that's more of a belief system versus a life transformation uh, belonging uh, to Jesus and have it impact uh, the rest of our lives. <coughs> We've got some campus ministry people here focused on discipling uh, people. And this is a church plant, which is meant to disciple, not just convert. Um, and we're going to see the importance of that uh, probably. As Any questions about that? Did I blow anybody's worldview or mess you up too bad? Because this is a real struggle for missions. Uh, one of the things... I was looking up this kind of history of missions, and there was kind of one said, there's a list of dates, literally like three pages, you scroll down all these dates from the first century to today, and it gave like the first date of the first missions in China, and they went back 100 years and there weren't any churches there 100 years later, because something happened with their decisions, but there were disciples, there wasn't church planting happening yet. I think that makes you know a lot of sense when we read Acts, right? So that Paul um, preaches the gospel, and you know, tons of people believe, and then you almost expect them to say, "Great, great, you know, move on to the next city, um, save as many as you can." But uh, he like stays for two years sometimes in the city, yeah, um, because he's doing the hard work of discipleship, not just conversion. Yeah, listen to what Titus one uh, five says. This is why I left you in Crete. You've been left behind. That's I like that. So that you might put what remained into order. Hear that? There was new life there. There was stuff happening. He says, but <clears throat> what's there needs to be put in order. And maybe he was the first Presbyterian, because that's what, you know, let everything be done decently and in order. <clears throat> well, he was a Presbyterian, because look what he said next. And a point presbyters in every town or elders in every town why should you have elders in every town because they are the disciples they're the people who are overseeing overseers of the church so he wants converts he wants but he wants them to be disciples and he wants them to be a church and we see this pattern we don't see it in Titus, we actually see it in Matthew 28. How do we know that God's into not just conversions but church planting? <clears throat> For Matthew 28. 
What's something that marks out people as God's church? Mentioned in Matthew 28. <coughs> it's our next verb. There's no commitment card. There's be baptized, be joined to God's people who are being assembled and gathered around Jesus and his word, being discipled. And what's a discipleship word in uh, Matthew uh, 28? <clears throat> it kind of echoes the make disciples. What's the content of discipleship? Teach them, and there's an interesting what it says. <clears throat> to observe all that I have commanded you. This word observe, kind of in Greek and Hebrew, has this idea of keep. <clears throat> grab hold of what God said, grab hold of it as a lifestyle, have it grab hold of you, so that God's word just doesn't rest on us in kind of a Bible trivia sense, but in a deeply... Uh, life-changing, earth-shattering sense. And it takes discipleship to do that, to drill home what God has said so that it starts to affect our our motivations and our behaviors and our reactions. That it takes it from our heads and it drills it down into uh, what the old guys used to call the affections. What you love and what you hate, what you want to do, have God's Word penetrate that and drive us. um. Um. Yeah. I think um, that's really significant because he's not just saying do the act or do the, do the event of baptism, right? Because that has a whole meaning behind it. Yeah. And I think um, when we were doing the baptism study, we saw that baptism means church membership, right? It isn't just uh, some isolated thing that happens. Yeah. And so what he's really saying is plant churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, in that sense, uh, campus ministries are fantastic. They're great support ministries of the church, but in the end, they cannot replace the ministry. Sometime, if you have some time online at Desiring God, there's a a message from Mark Driscoll called What is the Church? And he talked about parachurch versus church. He said, well, if your parachurch ministry has uh, elder oversight, you you baptize and have the Lord's Supper and you have preaching, bad news for you. You're not parachurch anymore. You're a church. So... uh, (laughs) kind of wrestling with when you become a church when you meet a certain amount of times or when you have a certain amount of got people talking and it's basically when you have all the marks of the church that we talked about in the reformed sense of preaching, teaching, and discipline um, and the sacraments, Lord's Supper and, uh, and baptism so uh, okay, yeah, so teaching, observe what God has commanded so we're teaching that there's a shape to our faith, not just, it's just this interior core and then everything else can be its own shape, shaped by our culture, shaped by our traditions. Uh, Jesus is kind of messing with all those things by teaching us what he's commanded, and it has ripple effects um, all the way out. Okay, point two. Let's see, uh, we talked in Matthew 28 that there's good news that Jesus is over all of this, and, and actually the good news he brackets it with is, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age till this program runs its course and all of God's people are gathered in and the end of the age shall come. That's what the end of Mark says is really uh, the timeline of the Bible is preach the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth and when everybody's got it that's supposed to get it, 
Jesus comes back. That's that's what's next, you know. So that's the short and sweet version. But he gave them good news. He told them to wait for him. And so we have Acts uh, one eight here. Yvonne, would you like to read that? Alright, so this is good news. They're supposed to gather, they're supposed to wait, and then God will fill them with His personal power, with His Holy Spirit. And you will be, what does it call them? My witnesses. So, God owns us, just like we talked about Matthew 28, baptized in His name, that we are marked, we're given a new name. Here we're giving a new purpose, which is to be His witnesses, and we have new power by the Holy Spirit uh, to fulfill this uh, mandate to the end of the earth. How many of you have seen, heard somebody teach on this passage before? Yeah. So you see kind of the concentric circles, starting with Jerusalem, which is where you live. And then there's regions beyond, which is Judea, which is kind of the, the region or this, you could call it the state, maybe if you want. Samaria, which was obviously had some political sketchiness related to it, but it was like the bad neighborhood that's right past the neighborhood where you're a little less comfortable. This is like the even more uncomfortable place. And then the really uncomfortable place where all the nasty, weird, the strange things happen is the ends of the earth. So... He's giving them good news. He's giving them bad news. Where is this power going to take you? Where you wouldn't normally go yourself. Like not on vacation. Uh, places, far exotic uh, places, potentially. But we're going to talk at the end a little bit about what's more exotic across the world or across the fence uh, to your neighbor. That Sometimes that's a journey of a million miles emotionally and just spiritually to go break the ice and talk. Um, okay, fruit of mission. Uh, Rachel, did you mean that? <laughs> so Paul's really describing his ministry ironically to people who live in the book of Romans, so he's writing to people who live in, and some of these people were booted out of Jerusalem, they were Jews who were uh, chased out, <clears throat> so he's telling them the good news that this reason why we're preaching and we're stirring things up all over the world is to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. <clears throat> So this phrase in Greek is kind of uh, ambiguous. <clears throat> is it obeying God, which means believe Him, or is it the obedience that flows out of uh, believing Him? And really the whole New Testament says yes. <clears throat> it's really both. Um, <clears throat> we obey God because He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Yeah. So when people do that, they're obeying the gospel. But what is the power that enables them to obey the gospel? God's grace. And so we're talking 
He's saying this is the point, is to have also obedience flow. This is what we talked about, disciples. This is another way that Paul talks about uh, discipleship. So we're um, church planting, discipleship among all the nations. But let's be, uh, the Bible is, the great thing about the Bible is it's very realistic. What did Acts 1-8 say? You'll receive power, and then you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Seven chapters later, you know where everybody's at? Where everybody else is hanging out? Are they hanging out in Judea, and in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth? Where are they hanging out at? In Acts 15, talking about? Uh, Acts 8. Six, seven chapters later? Yeah, seven chapters later. After chapter eight. After chapter one. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> I was doing another math. Yeah, he was doing another math. <coughs> I was going to talk about fifteen, but I didn't have time. So. They're still in Jer- Jerusalem. They're hanging out because Christians love to hang out with each other because they were told to, right? So don't forsake the assembling of each other. Go to church, hang out, fellowship, go to small group. Holy huddle. Holy huddle. So they were obeying God, but then they were also not obeying God. (laughs) So we're going to see this movement in a minute about gathered and sent. Gathered and sent. So they had the gathered part down. They hadn't gotten the sent part. Who was here last week? What does missio or mission mean? Yeah, it means to send like a missile. You hear that in the word missile is something that's shot out. Well, how were they shot out of Jerusalem? They were all comfy, all gathered, compact, together. Scripture says that's a good thing, but there's also another movement. Conviction. Yeah, conviction. And it says there was a great missions conference at the church in Jerusalem. What does Acts 8 one say? And there arose on that day... This is literally the day of Stephen's martyrdom where they stoned Stephen and Saul is there approving of his death. Great irony in that. A great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And here's another little problem. Except the apostles. They stayed in. Save all these new converts to Christ, Jewish converts, and they're booted out of comfort zone and all their leaders are like still there so they're leaderless they're we could maybe say rudderless but they are not according to Acts 1-8 they're not powerless they're just maybe clueless and discouraged and, and frustrated and so here is the propulsion of the mission happens from persecution and so sometimes we say Lord let there not be pers- you know, persecution strike us but maybe, I mean, sometimes that's the propulsion um, uh, for missions is it boots us out of our gathering and it turns us into sent, uh, sent people. And I just put some dates here and some interesting tidbits of uh, mission history to kind of, if you can imagine, just the dispersion of seeds throughout, uh, like blowing on a dandelion. So Thomas goes to India, Patrick in Ireland, uh, Boniface in Germany, he burns down their sacred tree, which you're like, that's not very cool, um, in terms of mission, like, show me your sacred object, 
Church DNA torches it. So, uh, emissions, that's called power encounter. So, uh, you really do the showdown with uh, their most important uh, uh, idol, right? And then some, there's some cool stuff about uh, China in here, about the church planting that happened in uh, the 8th century. Pretty cool stuff. Okay, any questions about that? We got about 10 minutes to talk about kind of current currents in the in mission. I think, you know, it's interesting about the history of missions. One of the arguments that um, people make, right, like, for example, in Egypt or China, is that Christianity is this foreign religion. Um, it's like a Western thing. But actually, the gospel was there far before Western colonialists. One of the first converts was uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? So yeah. And he took it home to Africa. Far before there was Islam. And vibrant Christianity is mostly found in Africa yeah. and yeah. South Korea, <coughs> Central America. So uh, it's not Western anymore. So uh, Anglos need to stop breaking their arm, patting themselves on the back, and, uh, and say, because guess what? People in Korea are being sent to South America and North America as missionaries. So uh, we need to be re-evangelized in every uh, generation, which gets to this issue of discipleship versus decisions. And a lot of Christianity since the 50s has been pushing decision uh, spirituality versus discipleship uh, spirituality. So we're starting to see bad fruit from bad, you could say bad models. Um, Good heart, bad models, uh, bearing fruit um, here, yeah. So last week we were looking at the Old Testament. We're going to look more at the New Testament. Um, I, I have a Jewish friend who's not a Christian. He's an Orthodox Jew. And uh, he, has, he has a strange, peculiar interest in Christians. Mm. And uh, so he's interested in apologetics. And so he's reading Christian apologetics. And he wants a he wants an apologetic for the existence of God. Mm. I asked him. I said, "So, I asked, him, don't you have like a distinctively Jewish apologetic?" And he says, "No." Huh. And, I, and he says, "I said, well, why not?" He says, "Because we don't have any sort of evangelism." And he said, "I said, so what's your defense of the faith?" He says, "We remain kosher." <laughs> you know, so the, the way that we keep our children or and families from going the way of the world is we remain cut off and distinct by remaining kosher. Mm. He says, but we don't have any, we don't come up with arguments for the existence of God. We just, that's our, that's our culture. And if you look at the Old Testament versus New Testament, you know, they were supposed to be the, the light shining on the hill. It was more, it was a kingdom that was coming in towards Jerusalem. And now New Testament is fully the other direction. It's going out. Yeah. It, it, it is out. So you do find in the New Testament, an apologetic theological discourse, an argument against contrary worldviews, mm -hmm. because we're going to encounter it. Yeah, yeah. It's not just not just attraction. It's also yeah. going out in conversation. Well, there was supposed to be a Jewish evangelism that says, "You, I will make you a light to the nations." Right, but they weren't. But they took that as be my little light. Yeah, you the, know, and they're they going to see and go. Oh, cool! The God of the Hebrews. I'm going to worship him. So just stand here and shine your light. Make sure you're. You know your globe on your lantern's really clean. You know it's like that's how the world's going to be saved. And a lot of Christians are maybe still in that part. Is whenever you go out and mess with the world, your lamp gets dirty. So we'll keep our lamp clean in worship and discipleship and small group. 
but let's don't mix it up because we'll get our lamp dirty. But the thing about dirty lamps is you just keep bringing them back to the light and they get clean. So the dirty lamp problem isn't to keep us from the world, it's to keep us returning back to God, which is what Luther said. The Christian life is one of constant repentance. We're always getting our lamp dirty. So that doesn't mean you don't take the lamp to the dirt. It means you bring the dirty lamp back to the cleanser. And, and uh, So that keeps the church central and it keeps the gospel central, even as we think about uh, mission. Well, let's think about it. just two things. Uh, what Eric just said relates to the attractional, which I'm going to get to in just a minute. But here's a question, kind of, this has been a debate for about the last, even about 100 years, about word and deed ministry. And so, uh, mercy ministry is actually a value of of IGC, and there's a lot of work and conversations going on around uh, mercy ministry. But the question is, where does mercy ministry come in? Is it... do mercy so that people don't have like grumbling stomachs and they can actually listen to the gospel so this is mercy prepares for the gospel that's one view another view is mercy and gospel always go together because Jesus did word and deed it could be telt as the Scottish say he telt and they felt, you know. He taught him and he fed him. He taught him and he healed. He taught him and he uh, raised people from the dead. And so there was word and deed. It came together because God isn't just after our souls. He's after a renewed creation. Actually, um, it's kind of like a preview of what I'm going to be teaching on next week. Good. There's actually a lot of different models. Yeah. Right? So there's like the liberal model, which is that... Um, the gospel is subsumed under mercy. So what you really should do is mercy. And somewhere, the act of mercy is the gospel. You really need to say it. And then, you know, I, I, I kind of think that they're separate, but, but closely related. So that you can do mercy, and it, you don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be evangelistic. Yeah. But always when you're doing mercy, um, the gospel is deeply yeah. connected. Well, there's a sense, I mean, in one converse, Peter exhorts wives who have unbelieving husbands that by their good deeds they might win their husband without a word. Without a word, yeah. That doesn't mean they're not going to receive the word, but in order, a, a wife who has been changed and reflects something about the nature of the gospel is going to win her, husband, her unbelieving yeah. husband's ear. But then he also says, then he says that, and I, I assume that this is referring to husbands with unbelieving wives. He also talks about husbands, the way you treat your wives, for your, your prayer, you guys, your prayers will be heeded. Um, God will listen to your prayers if you don't treat your wife right. And I think it's just, in particular is, what prayer for what? What prayer for your wife? You know, if you have an unbelieving wife and your prayer is that she would come to Christ and yet you're not treating her right, well, that ain't going to work. Yeah, you're undercutting. Yeah. You're supposed yeah. to answer your own prayer right? in one sense. So I think there is a sense in which you know, gaining street cred. Yeah. You know that, that they're going. You gain your, their ear. Yeah, I think that's really right. That um, street cred. Yeah. What it is is that um, 
uh, uh, what is it? Mercy and deeds makes the gospel credible. Yeah. Right, right. So you can't go to people and say, uh, share the gospel, but then ignore the plight of the poor. People right. are just going to say, it's hypocrisy. Right, right, right. So there's been this really pinging back and forth in the 1920s, kind of in the late 1800s, Albert Schweitzer basically liberal theology that said the only thing that's really authentically from the mouth of Jesus is love your neighbor doing others, basically the golden rule. So basically golden rule Christianity was just totally deep because there's no, they didn't want anything kind of dogma, anything kind of weird like trinity, like whoa, that's going to make the natives' heads explode. So let's just boil it down to basic nugget. So basically all they had was do good to others. What are some organizations that are existing today that are A lot of mainline missions, mainline church mission YMCA. agents, yeah, YMCA. Some of the that actually had a real gospel core, but then it, they started to say, "Well, that's kind of off-putting. We're just going to give people a sandwich, sandwich plus Jesus. They're going to gag on the sandwich. So let's right. remove the Jesus right. part, right. you know." So it's also a cultic version, cult of going someplace that's been hit by a, a you know a tsunami. Let's say if you join the Mormon Church, we will feed you and build, rebuild your house. And so people are like, well, yeah, I want, I want to be fed. I need a house, so I'll join the Mormon Church. Yeah. It's, it's not like we're going to feed you or house you regardless. It's, it's a condition in which to join the organization. That's sort of a cultic version. Well, we're going to, do, you guys are going to handle that more under the mercy side. Let me just talk quickly about attractional and, and missional. Attractional is let's get programs, let's get an awesome place, maybe a coffee bar, awesome worship band, and then all kinds of people will come because. We're cool. Cool people want to be with cool people, and we will become the cool people. And there's a verse for that. Paul says, "I will use all means possible to to save to save some." <clears throat> and so sometimes that works. Is we're going to serve our community well. We're going to have great resources for their kids, and you know, divorce care or, or help people with their finances to really be a servant to the community. But that's assuming that they will they will come to us. But I don't think anybody wakes up at nine thirty and goes, "Oh shoot, I should be in church." Like I don't think many people are struck by that unless there's something going on previous, or they have some kind of baggage from the church. They have this guilt complex that will motivate them to get to church at ten o'clock. So the church has to think, how has God gifted us and empowered us? He's actually gathered us so that He can send us to the people that have no clue about Jesus, have no clue why church is important, no clue about the gospel. It's not up to them to wise up and come to us. It's time for us who have received grace to figure out, do we even care about other people that don't get it? What's our attitude towards them? And so missional church is an understanding that we've been gathered to be sent, that we're the first fruits of a great harvest, and we've got to go tell people where the bread is. And so we gather for equipping and discipling and celebrating and the sacraments on Sunday, and then we're out in our softball league or our, uh, you know, Warcraft club with our buddies or, you know. Are you sharing something about yourself? No, I don't play with Warcraft. <laughs> Angry Birds is my only uh, addiction, uh, game addiction. But this whole idea that we've been gathered by God and then shot out, and literally I like to tell people the benediction is the kaboom, where God's people have been gathered and fed and stoked with powder, so to speak, and stoked with the Holy Spirit. The benediction is, 
cram, go where you belong, which is not in this building anymore. You're out. The church has been now officially sent and blessed to go be God's agents on God's mission. And uh, so that's it for time. And that's plenty more to say about mission. Um, and we'll handle it under mercy. So, too. And it's in everything we do, too, because it's part of our, our value. So good stuff. Any questions? Mind, right? what missional means. Missional? Because you said you, 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 you kind of elucidate. Yeah, it's the buzzword, but it just comes from this idea of sin, that the church is sin. It's not to be just the great magnet on the hill. It's supposed to be kicked down the hill by Jesus to where his future disciples live. So it's live where you live, share where you live, work where you live, gospel where you live, mercy where you live. Don't just think about how can I invent, invite someone to church. It's how can I invite them to consider Jesus in their world where we're already hanging out, where we already live. And I think a lot of times invite someone to church is really the end of a long conversation and discussion, yeah. friendship. You know, so there's a lot of like little steps that lead up to that point. You know, it doesn't necessarily culminate in them coming, but there's a lot. That goes on that. It's not just. Being missional means inviting people to church. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you want to think about it, what's God's living room? If you want to use such a kind of uh, such a physical, God's living room actually isn't the gym where we worship. God's living room is your living room, where He's invaded your life and your home, and you invite people into that room because they have to try it on. They have to see what does it look like for someone to belong to Jesus. Most of life doesn't look like church because we're not always gathered, we're not always singing, we're not always dressed up, but we're always working, we're always living, we're always shopping, maybe too much, you know, and stuff like that. But that's where people can know us and know Jesus is how we demonstrate. And that makes us disciples, is permeating our life, not just our hour and a half on Sunday. So it's taking it where we want them to live it. We're modeling it that way. So. Good stuff. Well, God bless. And just remember the benediction, you're being shot out of the cannon uh, out onto mission. So brace yourself.